Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Illumineers Quest podcast, where we talk everything Lorcana. I'm Zach. And I'm Jacob. And thanks for coming on this journey with us. And speaking of journey, that's the perfect segue into this week's episode. We are talking about the evolution and what we've learned since we started playing the game. And this is us specifically. Like, yes. There's a lot of people that have learned a lot quicker than us, and there's people that have taught us, there's people that have, uh, you know, been in TCGs for 20 years Helping us along the way. Helping us along the way, and we're going to um, talk about all that today. Yeah, so, you know, we're getting towards the end of Chapter 1. Really want to just, like, kind of, you know, rethink and start from the beginning and, you know, just go back everything we did. I think this will also be, you know, some good tips and tricks in there that we might have lost along the way. But a good refresher for some of this stuff as well. So, yeah, it'll be fun. Um, with that said, we will get into the, the beginning parts here. So, as always, if you're interested in shooting us any comments or notes or anything... Um, you can find us at YouTube at Illumineers Quest and comment on any videos there. Uh, Twitter at Lorcana Pod. You can shoot us a notes or you know respond to any of our posts there. Uh, lastly, you know email. You can email us at lorcanapod at gmail dot com and you know we'll try to focus on some of your comments there as well. So and then if you are on YouTube, we are on all the major podcasting networks like Spotify, Apple, iHeart, Pocket Casts, and, and anything else like that. So if you're interested in any of the subscribing to our podcast, you can do that there. With that said, we do have a couple I thought were really good comments from last week's episode on the future and what everyone would like to see. It had a ton of good positive responses, and so that was really fun to um, to see from the community. Um, a lot of them around what we kind of missed as opportunities, and I can't agree more with most of these that we saw. And so the first one was from Wayne W. So shout out again. Thank you, Wade, um, for this comment he said we missed a jar of dirt from pirates of the caribbean that would be a hysterical item slash action to have i mean that'd be pretty funny i'm it's i don't remember it to be completely honest (laughs) it's when jack sparrow gets jv jones's heart and puts it in a jar of dirt and he says i have a jar of dirt i have a jar of dirt thinking he has davy jones's heart but it's not in there anymore oh i do remember that now so it would be funny Jake now has homework for this week. He has to go rewatch I've, Pirates. I've watched all the Pirates. I'm not saying you haven't. I'm saying you have to rewatch Pirates. Right. But anyways, my thoughts on that would be, and Wayne, if I'm like completely out of line here, shoot us another comment. But I think it would be crazy powerful, crazy funny if, again, so based on that backstory I just gave, you think you have something but you don't. Imagine you play the card and you get to, your opponent has to discard a card, but you get to look and choose one which you discard. That would be busted, right? Or, or if there was something that had like a chance to it, like maybe, I don't know how they'd build in like a luck, maybe chance format into that, where like that, it yeah. could give you something good, but it could also something like, negative. Like if you're above ten lore, no, because that wouldn't be really a chance. Like roll a dice, and maybe. if it's above six, I mean, again, this there's no way this ever gets built into the game. <laughs> but it's just as like a fun, you know, side off quest here. Yeah, it would be crazy to have just some like some like make a jar of dirt like super OP. Like you get to look at your opponent's hand and discard one of their own cards, which could be Elsa or heroic outlaw or something crazy. Something, something that would, like that would be pretty. Hilarious. Yeah, no, I, I just thought that was funny, and, and I definitely love that scene from Pirates, and so I had to mention that one. Um, and then Adam C on Twitter mentioned a couple properties that we missed as well. So we talked a little bit about dragons um, and future stuff. A figment from Epcot, I don't think we mentioned, would be I a sh- good park ones. I should have 
mention that I for know. sure. Figment is one of my favorite Disney characters. I love Figment. Um, I I would work him into a deck. He and has he has a meet and greet now too. He does. That's correct. Like I would I would work it into a deck no matter what. Um, there's also even another Disney Parks character like Duffy the Bear that could even work into that. Like just as a side comment, but I love the Figment. I yeah. love the Figment. So I agree. I thought Figment was a really big one that we missed. I'm talking about the parks, and then maybe even bigger. Neither one of us mentioned Monsters Inc. Like I from Pixar. And I mean that's that's two movies, and it's a TV show on Disney Plus. Which, we missed that. Yes, which Mike. Could be a crazy support character to Sully, mm-hmm. who could be you know a massive tank like your Maui's or your Maleficent's, because he's super big and scary and strong. Randall could be the best evasive character ever. <laughs> he probably would be. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's the that's the crazy thing. Then you even have like some of the more ancillary characters, like Boo. I can't think of the owner's name. That was the bad guy off the top of my head. Is it Wentworth or Worthington or something no, along those on. lines? Hold- uh, um, Mr. Water... Water News. Water News? Yeah. Some, I, something to that extent. We're along those lines. But yeah, so, there, I mean, again, that, there's just such an ensemble cast in that movie um, that I don't know how we missed that one. Who's the old lady slug? What's her name? Roz. Roz. We'd have to get her at some point in the game. Yeah, That'd like, again, there's another one that I think is like an icon, like very small part of the movie, but an iconic character. Maybe like um, a 2319 action card or something? Yeah, it's Water News. I had to look that up. Yeah, but so yeah, I mean, there that's a that's another good one. So appreciate all those comments on that one. We definitely miss those. Definitely fun ones to add if they ever do get to those properties, which I'm, we hope they do. I'll be a hard push for Figment. I'm we gotta get Figment in the game. That'd be amazing. Yeah, and the and the last one, just kind of a, not a specific comment from anybody, but you know we have the polls that we take and we can see the results. And I don't know if any but all the listeners can see the results or not too, but. The, the results were very skewed towards Disney people wanting to see Disney parks first, but now they're 50% of the votes are for Pixar, to have Pixar added to the game. And then 38% for Disney parks and 13% for Disney live action. So it seems like Pixar is the way to go to start off with. I mean, I, I definitely get that, but you guys don't want Tron? You get, like, Tron, Pirates of the Caribbean, Rocketeer? I mean, I think, we, I think everyone would say we want them all, like we did. I mean, that's but, fair, but I mean, to, I mean, to be if, completely... if I had to pick one, I would pick Pixar probably too. That's fair. I mean, okay, I, I agree with the order. Yeah. Park, Pixar parks live action. That's I'm, fair. I, I'm with that too. That's fair. Okay, so that's all the comments. If you want to have anything to say for a future episode, again, please, please let us know, and we'll try to work it in. Absolutely. Okay. With that said, card of the week. So it is think, on you this week. I think it's my turn this time, and little bit of a lesser known one this time, but there's a little bit of reasoning behind it. I'm going with Zeus, God of Lightning, which is the four-cost, uninkable Amethyst card. He has Challenger plus four and Rush, so he's a crazy Challenger card to come in and take your opponent off guard. But I think he could, he might be getting a lot more powerful. So he does zero base attack damage, and so he comes in, takes his opponent out, and then is kind of done. Because chances are your opponent's going to then counterattack him because it does they don't do any damage to him and they're, so they're gone. So with that said, what if you could play off of that damage taken to Zeus initially, banish the character, and then just preemptively banish him and draw cards off of that? Would that be something you're interested in? Yes, it would be. But what on earth card are you talking about? <laughs> 
Well, I'm talking about the most controversial card of the set so far because of our lack of understanding initially, and that would be Dinner Bell. <laughs> so the, the... Wait, are you talking about the card that can banish an opponent's character card and you draw cards off of it? Let's not confuse everybody again. But yes, I'm talking about that one. So I play, I've played Zeus on and off already in Amethyst. I think he is a great challenger card. I think he can be a big distraction and keep people from questing the next turn. So as it sits today... Again, like I already mentioned, you know, your opponent's going to challenge into him their next turn because he doesn't do any damage and they don't want to leave him on the board. But, he quests for two as well. So Yeah, and he does quest for two. I forgot to mention that. And so he is really, really strong from that regard, and so people do want to take him off the board. But if you're playing Ruby Amethyst, and that's a pretty popular deck, if you want to kind of evolve that meta and have some different card draw in it, Dinner Bell is perfect. So as a quick reminder, Dinner Bell is a four-cost uninkable item in Ruby that says exert for two ink, draw cards equal to the damage on a chosen character of yours, and then banish them. And so if he gets three damage dealt to him, you get to draw three cards off of his challenge into an opposing character that turn so i just i think that that gives you that card more life so i like i said i've played it i like it as it is a little bit i think that could make some really good combos for sure and i think i think that a lot of those cards like dinner bell in in chapter two are adding even more use to lesser known cards in chapter one and uh, hopefully with this uh card of the episode week segment down the line we can add even more uh light to lesser known cards yeah so speaking of that we do only have two i think new cards this week to touch on for chapter two that have been released i think we should have three or maybe it's three so the first one i know for sure is the fang crossbow it's um so i guess getting into the news here you know just a little smooth transition yeah, smooth. Um, smooth we have the three cost inkable item in sapphire and it has two actions. Is that the first one? I think it is the first one like this. So it's very different. Um, it doesn't seem that great to me, but it has a lot of potential, and we'll get to why. So exert for two ink. Chosen character gets plus two strength this turn. So it's basically a buff, like Scepter of Arendelle, for Sapphire characters. But it also has the secondary action of exert, banish this item, banish chosen dragon character. So I definitely touched on this on Twitter, but I think that has to mean we're getting a lot more dragons. It would not make sense for that to say that unless there are a lot more, because as of now, there's only Maleficent. So we know we're getting Sisu because of the deck box and card sleeves. Yep. So we know we're getting Sisu. Yep. Um, I would think maybe Elliot from Peach Dragon at some point down the line. I know that's a little bit into animation and live-action territory, so... That could be a crossover at some point. Um, Figment, like we mentioned, um, although it's kind of sad to think of him getting banished by a crossbow, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, so they got to expand it a little bit. But as of now, I think that one's kind of niche, but that one could be one that as items are, or add, as cards are added, it becomes a lot more valuable. Because, again, there's only one dragon card yeah. in the game. Okay, and then the next, the next action is one that... I was very soft on at first, but I, I'm starting. I'm starting to warm up to it. It is a Raya and the Last Dragon action. It's called Last Stand, with Raya and Namari fighting on it, and it says, "Banish chosen character who is challenged this turn." It's a two-cost uninkable amber card. So I don't really like it. I you know I think uninkable cards have to be extremely 
useful for you to, to consider putting them in. But the thing that I didn't consider at first with this card is that there's not much challenge ability in Amber, but this basically gives you the get out of jail free car and challenge and banish anybody you want. So like Ursula, imagine challenging a, I don't know, like a one cost, um, like Stitch into Ursula and then banishing her. I mean, I, I, I see where you're coming from. Like that makes sense. Like that's, you can get rid of a really big card if you need to. I just, I, I, the uninkable really hurts it. It does. I, I think if it was inkable, it would be broken. I, and then secondarily, I think this gives a lot of life to bodyguard decks, you know, like the Musketeers decks or like really heavy bodyguards because bodyguards don't challenge very well, but they do have a ton of willpower. And so having something that can banish on top of that bodyguard could be really powerful. But anyways, I, I, I'm not super sold on it either. I definitely am warming up to it though. Mm-hmm. I think it's tough when you have, like the crossbow card, when you have to play a card based off of your opponent's deck. Yes, think... very, very much so. Which, Rise of the Uninkable, we have another Uninkable for our last card, which is Merlin Rabbit form. I mean, it's called Merlin Rabbit, but he's in Rabbit form, which mm-hmm. is why it's called that. It's a four-cost Uninkable Amethyst card, two strength, three willpower, and his ability is when you play this character and when he leaves play you may draw a card. So it gives another spell type action along with a character in Amethyst, more card draw, but he costs more than um, your Maleficent that currently draws a card, and he's uninkable, and he only quests for one. I just, I this one is probably one of my least favorite. I, I've seen a lot of people that know way more about the game than I do that have said there's a lot of potential there. But I just, I, I don't think he replaces Maleficent and, and friends on the other side yet. So he only quests for one, so that's telling you that, like, okay, the ability is the reason you're playing him, and I love the ability. If, so if you, if you play him, return him to your hand, and play him again, that's three draws. That, to me, is incredible. But for four cost. You're right, I think a lot of people have talked about this with Bounce, where... I mean, this is a insane bounce card to me but you're giving you're for four costs you're giving up so much potential you know i i don't know i mean again i think there's so much more to come out that we'll see what happens it, i i do see the potential i think as of now it's very niche maybe there's more stuff that comes out that makes it more valuable i hear you all right we, we will come back we'll to, circle back on that one too to Merlin. yeah I, I just i think uninkable again it, it it creates a ceiling that's a little bit higher for its usefulness but okay getting into the the main topic here any what's the first thing that comes to mind that you've learned that has made you better since we started um i, I can't think of any one thing specifically but you're going to mention it so I don't know. So I, I, the, the first thing that comes to my mind, I mean, there's very broad ones that are just like, you know, the basic set of rules that we've talked about already, the basic set of like building and the building decks and the, the constraints that you have to do around that and like the foundations of actually playing the game. But the first thing that comes to my mind is like when you are building a deck, not just having like a bunch of characters thrown in there that you don't have a specific reason to be in there and so when i started when we started playing me specifically like i would put a card in there just because it had a certain ink cost 
you know, because I'm like trying to have something that costs one, something that costs two, something that costs three, and so on and so on, but not really understanding the purpose behind said card. Now I can think about, like, you know, think of, of like Madden ratings if you're a sports fan or other, you know, types of like stat lines where you have like strength and willpower and lore questing value and ink costs and you know like a one to five stars for each of those different segments i was basically doing like a two and a half to three stars for each of those where you really need somebody who's really strong at challenging so like five star challenger but like a one star quester like that's a really valuable card to have in your deck because you need people to challenge and so forth so that's like understanding the role of each card and really building a cohesive deck and understanding the importance of each of those versus just having a card that you can play on each turn that's my biggest one and i think to kind of piggyback off of what you said not having all of the best cards in one deck is a good deck you have to you have to have cards and maybe they're even some of the lesser known ones some of the ones that get played less but they need to all play and we've talked about this before they need to all play to that goal and i think that's the the biggest thing and each person has a different role to get to that goal just like any other team you know you're gonna have like a coach and you're gonna have you know a different player that mm-hmm. that each has a different role on what they're trying to do to accomplish that end result and that's where i've grown a ton absolutely um i will say the different ink types the strengths and weaknesses of different ink types and we're gonna you know and i think we're gonna touch on this a little bit in depth more in depth in the future episode when we look back at like our tier lists and if we did good or bad oh oh boy Um, (laughs) and i don't i think our ink tier list is probably one of the worst ones we've done but i think like now i really really understand like what you're up against with each ink type like when you play a steel deck you know you're going to take a ton of chip damage Mm -hmm. you know if you play a ton of really cheap um weak cards meaning like under two strength or even one or under two willpower or even one willpower they're probably just going to get taken off the board by Giant Tink. Like, it's just, it's bound to happen. Like, if you're playing a Steel deck, Giant Tink's in it. If you're playing a Ruby deck, Hero Outlaw is in that deck. Yeah. I mean, nine, so, you know, I mean, there's always going to be exceptions to the rule for whatever reason, but Heroic Outlaw, Giant Tink, Elsa Spirit of Winter, Rapunzel for sure. Dragonfire. Yeah. I mean, so just, like, understanding what you're up against and understanding the strengths and weaknesses, you know, like, Direct Removal and Ruby... Um, and, and the, the ramp. So, you know, like at five ink, your opponent's going to be able to dragon fire something. So like understanding the consequences of the stage of the game you're in. And then when you get to seven ink, you don't want to just throw everything you have on the board because they'll just be prepared. So again, just like really understanding the archetype of your opponent's deck and like Emerald, I haven't talked about that one yet, but Emerald is the questering, like the really annoying questing one. And so most likely going to be pretty aggro. And so if you get off to a really slow start against an Emerald deck, you're going to get behind fast. So again, just like really understanding the ins and outs of all the different inks and being able to like strategize against those, I think is really important too. And we've definitely learned a lot on that one. And I think the other big thing to, to mention there is like, obviously, like not every Emerald deck is going to be the same, right? But you need you need to know the main meta cards in those each ink. Yeah, for because sure. Because more than likely, that's what's going to get played. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and you know, maybe you don't know specifically when, but like on Amber, for instance, if you go and attack into a character and don't take them out and leave damage on the board, chances of Rapunzel healing them really high. 
So just again, like understanding the implications of your moves and what your opponent's going to do to counter that is is really high. And understanding the ink's play style is the foundation of all of that. And, and I'll say another big one for me is like. I um, I play Ruby Amethyst, so like Dragonfire is a big card for me. Yeah. I know when I'm playing Emerald that there's going to be a three questing Cusco that I'm not going to be able to work on. Perfect example. And I need to find maybe a Maui or something like that to work around it. Yeah, perfect example. Um, card draw is incredibly, incredibly important. And I mean, like, I think we'll get maybe into it a little bit, but like ink ink building right like that's the thing going into this like what we've learned going into this it's like that's going to be like sapphire is going to be everywhere every deck is going to have that ink paired with something else yeah yeah well, i mean let's, and, talk, let's talk about that first because well, i think that's a good one no no we were getting into card draw no but you but you you changed my train of thought and i like it more though it's fine keep going so you want me to go to inking or draw like, I, 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 I was working into draw okay well then go to draw go to draw okay but I think draw took the place of how important inking was. I see where you went with that. Yeah, card, I mean, there, there's a lot of decks that I have been playing at League that don't have any card draw because I've just trying, been trying to play like uber aggressive mm-hmm. because I don't have a lot of the big, you know, final boss type characters to play in my decks. And a lot of the time I burn myself out and it's just really hard to deal with because then you just have to rely on the know the top deck and hope that what you're getting is good every every game i top deck i probably lose i'll say that like you have to have some way of generating at least two cards in your hand per turn at least i think which is which is why rapunzel is so powerful because she replaces herself she gives you another card she puts a powerful card on the board yeah i mean i I think that's I, i think it's very you know i didn't understand that at first and now i definitely do you know, there and it's not just amethyst. Like you get card draw in amber, like I just mentioned. There's definitely a ton of card draw in amethyst. There's you know a little bit in uh, steel with a whole new world. I mean, that's one of the best card draw cards in the game. You have to it's, be very. It's a risky one. You have to be very strategic with it, but. But I mean, at the end of the day, you draw seven cards. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you know making sure because if you're the first person to go after four turns you're more or less out of cards at that point if you don't have any card draw. And so just being in a position where you either know that you're going to be in that spot and you're not going to need a ton of ink to finish out the game or have an ability to draw cards in those first couple turns like your Maleficent and your friends on the other side or your Rapunzel's or your A Whole New World, whatever the case might be, just be in a position to capitalize on that need. Or the new meta card, Mervyn Rabbit. That's going to be <laughs> everywhere. Um, okay, so getting into inking then, I think, because that covers it all. You know, if you're going to ink a bunch, you have to be able to draw off of that ink or you will burn yourself out, like we just said. And so we both were initially very much in the Sapphire's going to be way overpowered because of Tala and because of Mickey and because of, like, one jump ahead. I think it's seen a little bit of a resurgence in the last, call it, two weeks. But it's still, like, I think reliant on card draw to help it out. Like, you're not going to see it just, like, you keep inking all those cards and then still be successful. So 
I still get the I still get the ink ramp, and I think like having you know a fourth turn card be six power, or a, you know third turn card be fit five power versus three can you know, really get yourself to a point. But then you either have to stop inking because you have no more cards, or you have to have a way to replenish your hand. It's it's the ink I see played the least. Like I don't I don't see it as much as any other ink and that that's surprising to me from the beginning yeah I, I would agree with that i think it like i said i think it has seen some resurgence i i see a lot of like the hades and sapphire played i think the maleficent and sapphire that quests for three with six willpower is really strong and so it definitely has seen a little bit of resurgence but in general sapphire i think we were way way over overhyped on and maybe there's a card that you also gain ink and draw a card like that that's when we're talking about breaking the game a little bit yeah. and really getting to the meta for, for sure. sure. Yeah. Um, kind of along those same lines with card draw, but in a different like light, when you think about your starting hand and like the mulligan you get, I very much underestimated the importance of having a good starting hand. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is like, if you're an aggro player or you, you want to get out and just beat your you know opponent to questing for 20, <clears throat> like you're playing Emerald and you want to play Cusco, Hatter, Hans, or not Cusco, sorry, Flynn Rider, Matt Hatter, Hans, and like have, you know, six or seven lore on the board. Like if you don't have any of those in your hand when you have your initial seven cards, don't be afraid to discard five or six of them, or even seven for that matter. You know, if, if all you drew was five, six, seven cost cards, then you've lost the game before you even started. For sure. For sure. And like I'm I'm a again, I'll say a Ruby Amethyst, you know, the, the main one, the main meta control deck. Um, I'm okay having four cards that are seven ink and above in my starting hand. I'm okay with that. Like I because I know that's what I'm building up to. Yeah, it might be a little much. I I, I, I know where you're coming from, but it's one it's one me a ton of games because I know what I'm building up to. I know that I'm guaranteed at some point, as long as I don't ink them or have to discard them, that this is what I'm working up towards, and I can build all my turns toward that goal. Yeah, no, I hear you, and I, I think it, you know, for those for that deck specifically, it is more okay that deck to specifically, have, yes, it is more okay to have that. Um, I mean, another very obvious one is, but I, I, I probably wouldn't want more than one, especially if you're going first, want more than one uninkable card in your hand. You know, if you have if your starting hand has four uninkable cards in it, that's just a really bad position to be in. For sure. So just the, the starting hand is incredibly important in making sure that it's going to allow you to play the style of game that your deck is trying to play. Also, it's helpful if you're playing a deck like the Ruby Amethyst Control to maybe go second if you can to get that extra card in yeah. on the first turn. Yeah. Um, we definitely talked about this in like the intermediate tips and tricks, but and we already touched on it a little bit, but specifically in like reading your opponent and anticipating the moves they're making. You know, yeah, yeah. don't play into what they're trying to do. So for your deck, for instance, if somebody on turn six plays three cards and you know has a questing power of five between those, all you're going to do your next turn is ink and play be prepared. Like I've gotten much better at that on like anticipating what's coming and trying to like bait my opponent into like playing a be prepared when I want them to versus when they want to. So having a situation and trying to control that situation and put your opponent into what you want to do and anticipating their moves is incredibly important. Like in in no way should you ever be like okay my my like with my deck 
my opponent is building out their their board. They've got three cards and I've got nothing. In no world should you be like, okay, I'm gonna bring on my Elsa to challenge, right? Because that's not what you're supposed. To, that's not what you're doing. You're bringing on your Elsa to do her specific job, which is freeze, which will help you. But you don't want to. You don't want to shift your main goal just to deal with what your opponent's doing, because then your win condition is lost. Yeah, no, that, that's a really good point too. You have to stick within the confines of your game, but helping or anticipating what your opponent's going to do can help you do that. And that's where deck building comes into play. Yep, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think one that I, I another note I have on here that's really um, kind of misunderstood, I think, is like small wins can be big wins. And what I mean by that is, when I started playing Amber, like I didn't want to play Rapunzel unless she was healing for three. Like I wanted to maximize the amount of damage that she could do to my opponent, or in, in that case, like damage removal. But you know, have the biggest impact if possible. But there are times where it's okay for you to play her to heal for one or two, and continue about on and really do that damage and push yourself forward versus waiting for the most opportune time. You mm -hmm. know. There's, and I'm going to get this specific saying wrong, but there's the saying that's like perfection is the enemy of winning or something along those lines. If you wait to make the perfect move, the perfect move may never come, and then you just lose because you're waiting and waiting and waiting. Yep, and that, I mean, that's, I, I've caught myself doing that multiple times. You just really have to focus on what's going on in the specific game, what's the specific situation, and build off of that. Yeah, in, 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 other, in other ways to think about it, you know, like, if you're playing a control deck like you do, you know, if you're going to take two or three of your cards out to clear the opponent's board, like that's a small win for you. You know, you it, it was a negative because all your guys are banished as well. But you're not playing the early game. You don't care if you have cards on the board necessarily early game. You're waiting until you can play, be prepared, clear the board, and then come back with Elsa and Aladdin. Mm -hmm. So. You know, it, it's again like understanding the tempo of the game and really trying to move forward with your strategy, which moves right into my next point is the tactic that you want to use to get to the end goal. When I started, it was you play a card and you quest it. Pretty straightforward. You play a card, you quest it. If your opponent is in the same realm as you are and maybe you need to challenge but it was pretty much just quest and now it's you know get out quick you know challenge and trade stall your opponent late game you know reset the board with be prepared and all of the other tactics that you can do um to to shift the game in your favor or vice versa and so i i think the way that you go about all those different strategies and understanding when it's important to do each of those was a big misunderstanding at the beginning for me yeah, and like my my first deck that really helped me out was just the complete aggro deck, and just to your point, I didn't care what my opponent was doing, and I just quest. And when I played real decks, like real players that knew exactly <laughs> what they were doing, I got completely obliterated, and that it taught me a lot. And it's it, yeah, even though you win the game by questing, it's not all about questing no because eventually you're going to be in a position where you may not have any cards in the board because your opponents you know 
took them all off. Like, and another thing, like challenging, you know, it was just like you challenge and both of the cards are gone or whatever. And now understanding the, the difference in challenges on, like you go in and you challenge somebody, but your character lives and theirs doesn't, like that's a huge win for you. Mm-hmm. Like if you can have a positive trade in your direction, like that's a massive, massive huge, win. Huge, huge. Because you get to keep a card on the board that they have to then deal with. You take out their card and their momentum. And so even though your card has damage on it, something has to be done about it still. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think, you know, understanding again the the implications of every move and that when you come away with even the smallest margin of victory in that move, all of those small margins build up to a big win. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, the, the last the last big one that I have is like the understanding of all of the different abilities. You know, we, we talked about the the ink type tier list. I think the ability type tier list. I still I can still stick by a lot of those in mm-hmm. general, uh, but understanding the ins and outs of all of them have definitely shifted. Like Ward, for instance, you already mentioned Cusco and Dragonfire. Ward, I think, is extremely powerful, and I think we had it closer to the top of our list. Which is probably where it should be, but Kustiko specifically is such a lore-heavy threat that can't be directly removed. That understanding again all those implications and how to deal with them is imperative. No, absolutely. Ward, especially for my deck, is a big because Elsa, you know, targets a card. So Ward that gets rid of that. Dragonfire can't do it. Can't do it. Maleficent can't do that. Something like Be Prepared, that works, because it's targeting all cards on a specific card. Um, but overall, Ward, Ward is huge. And now, there's a specific ability that, since our tier list, I have completely did a, a 180 on. I think you know what it is, but it's Reckless. Yep. I, when we recorded that, I hated it. I thought it was the worst, by far. And I, st- I still do agree, like, the ability itself is the worst, like if you look at the ability itself, it is the worst, but that's that's what makes sense is the cards that are with it, and I I play I have Gaston in my deck whenever I can I have a Maui in my deck whenever I can, and that's that's how he like I love Reckless again the specialization of those cards is what makes it mm-hmm. important um, along those same lines I mean we had Singer at the bottom of the list too. And I, again, I would still stand by that being one of the worst ones because as of now, there's pretty much only one Singer card played, which is you know the Aerial Spectacular Singer card in Amber. Um, and so I think it just has to be low because there's only one card with that ability that's played. But the power of that Singer is incredible because when you can sing, you know, grab your swords or a whole new world on turn four instead of turn five, like sometimes that makes the difference in a game. You know, if, if you're doing it on turn four, you can sometimes clear out their entire board while they're trying to shift something on. You know, if they're trying to shift a giant Aladdin on turn five uh, or Heroic Outlaw, you can keep that from happening. So I just think, you know, the ability to do things faster than your opponent, which singing does, um, or the singer ability does, then you can, you know, come out ahead a lot of the time. And I know that that's, that Amber Steel deck is maybe one of, maybe the best deck, if not, you know, top two or three for sure right now. We've definitely seen it a little bit in our local meta a lot. Our so, local meta t- people love it for sure. Um, we've been we've been trying to figure Singer out, and uh, I think it's it's one they need to 
to kind of, I think adding maybe a card or two every chapter is good for Singer. Um, they just don't can't overdo it, I think. And I think that's what everyone is discovering now with the, the ability. Yeah, you know, and, and the same thing with like, I, I guess that maybe you could even make that a whole new point. I don't have this on the list, but as we're talking about it, things that allow you to accelerate your play. And so what I mean by that is like Singer, like we just talked about. That allows you to play a five-cost card before you have five ink. And so that accelerates the use of that. Another one is like Lantern. You know, I, I have a deck that I've been kind of fooling around with on Pixelborn that has a couple lanterns in it. And I mean, you can have, you know, four ink and two lanterns and play a six-cost card. Remind me on the lantern real quick. Sorry, yes. And I would imagine that there's some listeners that probably don't um, remember that either. And so it's a good good thing to bring up. So lantern's an item in Amber. It's a two-cost uninkable. And when you exert it, you get to pay one less for the next character you play. Okay. So if you have two of them on the board, you get to pay two less for the next character you play. So it's a mini just-in-time, I believe? A little bit, yeah. A little bit? Um, but yeah, so there's the deck that I have has three of them in it, and there are some games where I've gotten two down, and there's even, there's I think even like one or two games where I've gotten three down. So I mean, you again, you know, late game, you have seven or eight ink, but if you have three of those, you really have nine, ten, eleven ink. Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, so I like that. Yeah, so I mean, it helps you late game, but the, the biggest impact I think it has had on my gameplay is, again, it accelerates the ability to get to the big characters. So like, the, the deck that I was playing that in was an Amber Ruby one, and it had Maui in it, which I know is one of your favorites. And so that allows you to bring out Maui, Maui to challenge on turn four with his rush versus turn five. And so your opponents just don't expect it because it's you know accelerating, again, the, the use of that. I think Mickey, the mouse detective, and Sapphire is the same way because, again, you know, on turn three, you get to four ink instead of three and so then on turn four you can play something for five and so it just it's it's creating that advantage for you over your opponent absolutely um that that covers all my big points i mean is there anything else that there's a there's a big one i'd like to mention okay that i kind of want to add and it's something that i have learned is remember to have fun with this game and that's the biggest thing so yeah multiplayer i think is a big one is we completely disregarded that right like for sure. We've talked about we had a whole episode on multiplayer, but I just think that still having fun with the game is is one, like I'm still trying to work on like I'm really trying to work on building a a Mulan deck to work around her and really make that. It's not the most meta by any means. It's not going to get me the most wins, but I have fun working around and building that deck around it and trying to get you know try to get that work somehow. Um, and so I think I think. Obviously, you know, have that meta deck that'll win you the most games. But also remember to have fun with all the other opportunities that are available within Lorcana. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a really good point. Uh, I mean, kind of along the same lines, I guess, you know, having a group to play with is going to help all of you elevate your game. I mean, I know that we bounce ideas off each other all the time to try to get better and to try to understand if the, the ideas we have are working or, you know, getting a different perspective on why it will or won't work. So, Absolutely. I mean, playing in a league is obviously a good one. It's been a ton of fun. If Yeah, if you don't have um, many friends that are playing Lorcana, a, a league local game store is a, is a great place. Every to... Everyone we've encountered there has been super nice, too. I mean, we're, we're incredible noobs at this. Mm-hmm. Incredible noobs. But everyone we've encountered has been so, like, gracious in their, 
you know, I'm going to beat you, but I'm going to tell you why and what you're doing wrong along the way. And these are longtime Magic players that are now getting into Lorcana, and they, they're super welcoming to us, and it's been it's been really nice to see and, and super great uh, to feel that we're welcomed. Yeah, and so I can't imagine that most people would have different experiences with that because genuinely not a single person that I've played against has been even slightly, you know, annoyed mm-hmm. by my... Either not handling my board right, or not exerting my ink like I should, mm-hmm. or anything like that. And so it's just been it's just been a pleasure to like learn and create a you know a community that we've gotten to play with. So I think that pretty much covers it. No, I I enjoyed all that. There's a lot of important topics here, and I hope you guys uh, got something out of it. Yeah. Um, as always, thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time. See you guys. Bye. Bye.